This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. So we're going to jump on in. And uh, yes, we did last week, we started talking about created for community. Put up my big old splash screen there, Titus. Created for community. There it is. Man, awesome. Create. Everybody say created for community. We were created for community. And we're talking about, you know, what do we mean when we say community? Because community has become a buzzword in our society. Everybody talks about community, though we see very little of it. Everybody talks about community involvement and community development and community policing and community building and community, all these different things. So what in the world is community? And we know that community is all about people, Right? Community is all about relationships, and we were created for community. We were created for relationships. And how many of you would agree that we need a little more community today? I think more than ever, people are in our society are separating themselves from everyone else, and they're trying to go it alone. And I think people are running with this idea that they don't need anybody else, They don't want to work together in teams. They don't want to have to deal with conflict. They don't want to deal with hurt, disappointment, and pain. People are too much trouble, and so I'm going to go it alone. Isn't that true? And unfortunately, I think that's crept into church some, and some people are even saying, I don't need church. I don't need the church. Or they're even going as far as to say, I don't need God. And I think that what we see is in our society we see the community has broken down. And I just look at social media for a moment. I, I truly have turned, I, I, some of y'all may have seen on social media last night, I, I, yes, on Facebook, I shared somebody's post that said, turn off the news and love your neighbor. For real. How many of you get angry watching the news? I mean, I can actually get anxious and get a knot in my stomach. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Click. It's off, Right? I don't trust in that. Trust in him, right? So community in many ways has broken down. All people want to do is argue. People are actually looking for a fight all the time today. Looking for an argument. So community is broken down, yet I think it's what our society is most desperate for. Community and relationship. I told you our key verse for this, for this little series would be from Proverbs 18.1. A man, having separated himself, seeks his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. The New King James says it's a little different. It says a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire and rages against all sound judgment. The foundation of who we are is based in relationship. From the moment of our conception, everything is about relationship. So we went on, last week we were focused on, the subtitle was, A God of Community. A God of Community. And so we're talking about, we are relational beings because we were created in the image of a relational God, right? And so I only gave you two points, and we were basically just answering the question, how can I know that I serve a God of community and relationship? And the first thing I gave you was, number one, the identity, personality, and character of God is based in relationship. The identity, personality, and character of God is based in relationship. And we're talking about that's not what he likes, that's who he is. 
We're talking about the way that the Trinity interacts. Yes, they're one God, but they are, the Bible says they're three in unique individual persons, and they're always working together, never separately. They're always relating to each other eternally and perfectly to accomplish the same goals and purposes. And we saw that in Genesis 1.26 when he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And I told you in the New King James, that's a capital U in us and a capital O in our. I was referring to the Godhead. They were working together. We see in the beginning, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. But now the earth was formless and void, but the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. We see all three parts of the Godhead all through the first three chapters of Genesis working together. Uh, the other thing we mentioned in this was from 1 John 4, 8. He who does not know God I'm sorry, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love, right? And we talked about how this is the divine essence of who God is. God is love, and love is relationship. Love is about relationship, isn't it? I, like I said last week, I'm not talking about your love of chocolate. That's not really love, is it? <laughs> That's a craving. Oh, love chocolate. No, when we speak of love, we should be talking about something relational, Something deep, something intimate, right? It's all about relationship. It's about community, and that's who our God is. This is the foundation of who God is. He is, uh, without this, he would not be God. God is love. God is community. The second thing I mentioned to you, second thing we have as proof that we serve a God of community and relationship is that God initiated and pursued relationship with humanity, and this is huge because this is what sets God apart from all the other gods of the world is the fact that he is actively, from the beginning of time as we know it, he has been pursuing mankind actively, doing everything he can to pursue relationship with mankind. You don't see that in the other religions of the world. And our main scripture under that point was Acts 17, 26, and 27. I love this. He made from one man, he made each of us from one man, from Adam, Every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling. Basically, he decided when you would live on the earth and where you would live on, your earth, on the earth. Why? So that you would seek God and perhaps find your way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. And we talked about that, how it was actually a setup. God, from the very beginning, before you were even conceived, decided where you would live and when you would live and where you would be so that you would run smack into him. Does that make sense? Remember I gave the example of the labyrinth, how you know, he, God realized that we had to choose him. So it's kind of like the rat in the labyrinth. He looked at the labyrinth and went, well, I'm going to choose the most direct path to drop them right there where it comes straight to me. Now, of course, there's doors that go off to the left and the right, and we can choose to go a different direction, right? But God's doing everything he can do. He's dropping cheese along the way going, come on to me. He pursued us. He is pursuing us that hard. His pursuit is so intentional. We talked about how love is action. And Jesus, in his love for us, he took action before we even knew that we needed help, right? We needed a Savior. Did anybody in here need a Savior? Our God is a relational God. He's not distant. He's personal. He comes. He speaks. He listens. He acts on our behalf. God is present and pursuing us. Our God goes to extreme lengths to reach us. Because that's who he is. He's a God of community and relationship. And we were created in his image and likeness, right? So we too are beings of relationship and community. Which brings me to my points for today. I want to talk about living a life of community. Everybody say a life, life. of community. We need each other. And it's amazing. We, 
we say that and we nod, that's true, yep. But do we really believe it? We truly need each other. You know, when I was talking, thinking about this whole thing and, and working on it, I was thinking about um, redwood trees. Any of you ever been to a redwood forest before? Nobody's been to a redwood forest? Okay, a few. Okay, thank you. Um, redwood trees are pretty amazing. I remember when we first, uh, three or four years ago, we walked through a redwood forest in California. And, you know, these are, these are truly the, they're, they're the tallest trees in the world, but they are the largest living things on the face of the earth. They're massive. Many of them are well over 300 feet tall, and many of them are well over 2,500 years old. That's a massive living thing, isn't it? And so here you got these huge redwood trees. Can you imagine what a redwood tree has seen in 2,500 years from up that high looking out across the earth? Can you imagine that as they've seen mankind and seen deve- things develop and technology come and, and, as they've seen, and the storms that they've experienced? along the way. And so you think about redwood trees, and one of the things we found, I don't remember as we were going through, I think we had some brochures, I think we were reading as we were driving and walking through some of these trees and looking at it, and you would think a tree of this magnitude, because we know that most trees, the root system of most trees is as big underground as it is above ground, right? So what you see above ground, it's kind of, you know, you got that same big clump of roots, that same size underground underneath the tree, and that's what holds it in place so it doesn't move. So you would think a redwood tree, the tallest tree in the world, would have this massive root system that went hundreds of feet deep, right? Do you know redwood trees, their roots go an average of five to six feet deep? Five to six feet. Yes. Now, they spread out quite a bit further than normal trees do. But and if you walk around redwood trees, the, 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 the roots are actually everywhere. You've got to walk around them because they're, they're coming up, and they're huge around, and they're, but they, they pop up out of the ground. But here's the thing I found, originally found when we were walking through that really surprised me about redwood trees. You don't ever find one standing by itself. There's always at least three of them, sometimes five or six of them growing right, I mean right next to each other. And what you see was you look at the ground, their roots are completely intertwined. And because those three, four, five, six trees, their roots are all intertwined, even though they're only five to six feet deep, they're not going to move when a storm comes. Does that make sense? That kind of blew my mind a few years ago when we saw that. And it kind of made me think about who we are. We need other people. When we come to the place where we think that we can go it alone, that we know what's best, we're really giving in to pride and arrogance is really what it is. We're like one of those redwood trees that's standing there and saying, I don't need anybody else. You know what? Eventually that tree is going to fall. Eventually. It's not going to withstand 2,500 years worth of storms, right? They need each other. And it's the same thing with us. So back to our key scripture, Proverbs 18.1. A man having separated himself Seeks his own desire. That's selfishness, right? It's pride. It's arrogance. And rages against all sound wisdom. What's the Bible say about wisdom? Proverbs 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. This tells me 
that if we separate ourselves from others, really, we're fools. Can y'all see that? We were created for community. We were created for, for each other. We desperately need others. Now, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to give you three points briefly today. And these three points are just proof, just backing up that point that we were created for community. Ready? All right, number one, easy. Our need for others is proof that we were created for community. We were created with this innate need for other people. So think about this. From the foundation, we were talking about how the foundation of who we are is based in relationship and community. Really, as I said earlier, from our conception, from that moment, everything was about relationship. For those from conception, those first nine or ten months of your life, you had quite a relationship going with your mother, didn't you? Yeah. You, you, pretty dependent on her, right? Yeah, that is a relationship, is it not? How many mothers here would say that you certainly had a relationship with your unborn child? Yes. But there's also a physical, biological relationship going on as well there, correct? So from the moment of conception, from the very moment we're conceived, we need somebody else. True? Okay, so then once we're born, all of a sudden are we free to run out and do our own thing? Of course not. A baby's going to die if not for those around it, right? It's absolutely helpless. A baby is dependent on those around it, its parents, its guardians, whoever that may be. So the baby begins to grow, becomes a small child. Small children are automatically attracted to other small children, right? Even the shyest small child who won't go near the other kids is peeking around the corner and watching them, right? Because it's got this desire inside. It needs that relationship. Even if it's too shy to go initiate it, it still feels that need for that relationship, right? As we grow from that little bitty small child and grow into a little bit older child, maybe young teenager, one of the number one things in our lives becomes our relationships and our friendships, doesn't it? I mean, you want to ground your kid? Just remove them from their friends, right? You can't talk to your friends. <gasps> the world has just ended, right? Because there is a need for relationship. That's a God-given thing. And we also go on to develop relationships with our teachers and our authorities and our pastors and our relatives. These are all relationship. We learn about the benefits of working together, teamwork, through sports, through school, through these different things. Uh, hopefully, with our family, hopefully we're involved in a church and we begin to recognize that as part of our family. And that also builds community and relationship. We begin developing attraction for the opposite sex. And we begin looking for a different type of relationship, right? We get jobs. And we learn how to deal relationally with authorities and with coworkers and with teams of people. We develop a more intimate relationship. And usually we go on and we marry somebody. We have children of our own. And the whole process starts over again, right? We were absolutely created relationship. We were given a need for others. I actually heard last week, I, I don't remember where I was at, I was in a store, something they had the radio on, and I heard that good old White Snake song from 1982. Here I go again on my own, walking down the only road I've ever known, like a drifter I was born to walk alone. Everybody say bull. That's bad theology right there. Oh yeah, they're not a Christian band, never mind. We were not born to walk alone. 
We were created in the image of a relational God, thus we are relational beings, and we have a deep-seated need for relationships with others. And in thinking about this, I was thinking for a minute, so why is it that we do try and go it alone? And, you know, and I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that, but I think one of them is we talked, we've talked a couple times now here about how we were created in the image and the likeness of God, right? So what's the enemy going to do? He's going to try and change our image, right? If he can come in and change our image, we begin to doubt who we are. We begin to doubt, we begin to doubt our relationship with God and where we stand with him and our purpose in life if he can change our image. Does that make sense? I was thinking about Adam and Eve as they were in the garden. You know, Adam and Eve, they absolutely knew they were God's children, and, and I think they were fairly secure in that, that they were his children, and I think they, they for the most part, I, I think they trusted him completely. And we don't actually know how long Adam and Eve walked the earth before the first sin. But they trusted God until four words were said. The enemy comes in and he said, did God really say? Did God really say that you would die? Did he really say you couldn't eat of that fruit? Did he really? Did he really? That's not true. God just knows you'll be like him. He knows your eyes will be opened. All of a sudden, what happened? All of a sudden, it touched the image of who they were because what did they do? They began to doubt. Well, wait a minute. Is that what God said? Wait a minute. Did he lie to us? Is he holding back from us? All of a sudden, they're doubting who they are and where they stand with the Creator because somebody came and said, did God really say? Does that make sense? All of a sudden, they're doubting the Creator that they had trusted all along. And the image of who they are, they're doubting it before Him. The enemy wants to come in and he wants to change that image and that likeness that God created us in. They begin to doubt who they were in God's eyes. So what drives us to go it alone? I think that many times, I think past experience and disappointment are huge. I think that hurt and pain cause us to separate ourselves and to go it alone. I think many times pride will do it as well. I think that sometimes it's just laziness, isn't it? Sometimes we know that it's easier to sit home and watch a whole season of a show on Netflix than it is to go to that family get-together. Because I don't want to deal with the conflict. Right? Seriously. What causes us to go it alone? Isn't it some of these things? But God made it clear that relationship is what we were created for, and relationship is vitally important. For instance, another example of that. We know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Right? Earth was formless and void. Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. There was. And then what did he say? It was good. And God goes on and he creates the firmament. And he stars in the sky. Puts the, uh, separates the land from the water. He creates the vegetation. He creates the, the animals. Does all these things. And creates man. And every time he said, it's good. It's good. It's good. What was the first dilemma in the garden? First dilemma in Genesis chapter 2 when all of a sudden God stops and goes, wait, it's not good that man would be alone. The first problem in the world, the first dilemma, 
not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a companion. After all of creation being so good, God realized that there was a very basic need of man that wasn't being met. And so, he created woman, right? And let's look beyond that. He gave them the ability to reproduce. God intended for more people to be born, right? Obviously. God intended for there to be community and relationship from the very beginning. We need others. I'm just going to give you a few scriptures here real quick before we go to the next point. But Hebrews, um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Stop it. Let us. Everybody say, let us. That's not talking about you. It didn't say let me, right? Say, let us. Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us. I lost my place. <laughs> not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. James 5.16, confess your sins to who? Each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but you remember my whole message on my life, my responsibility, and about how God's promises all have conditions on them? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed? Well, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there, but just something to think about. Galatians 6, 2 through 3, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Does that mean that if I separate myself, I'm not obeying the law of Jesus? Does that mean that people who say, well, I love God, I love God, I just don't like the church and God's people. Does that mean share each other's burdens in this way, obey the law of Christ? If you think that you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. I love this. You are not that important. Thank you. Right? Listen, you will never be all that God created you to be. You will never accomplish all that he created you to do if you choose to go it alone. You will never be satisfied. You will never be happy if you choose to go life alone. You say, I'm scared. I might get hurt. Yes, you will. We're people. I mean, how many of us have ever hurt somebody? Come on. We're going to get hurt as well. Yes, you're going to get hurt. But that's part of relationship. And the positives far outweigh the negatives, because this is what God created us for. We have to learn to deal with the conflict, and we sometimes will have to deal with pain and hurt and disappointment, but we were born with a need for others, which brings us to number two, others need for us. Number one was our need for others. Number two, others need for us. So in the same way that you were born with a need for others, others were born with a need for you. Just think about when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says what? Love the Lord your God with all that you are. And secondly, love your neighbors yourself. Well, the first thing we look at in that is they're both about relationship, right? One's relationship with God and one's relationship with others. But he said if we just did these two things, Jesus said if we just do these two things, we'll be fine. All the way through life. 
into eternity. Just these two things that are all about relationship. Both commandments, all about relationship. He didn't command us to sit around and just receive love from others. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, what we talked about last week, love takes action. That means we get out there and we, take, we put action to our love as we love our neighbor as ourself, right? As a matter of fact, we were left here on earth for this reason, for relationship, to lead others to this same place of loving the Lord their God with all their being, with all they are. That's the reason we're here. If it weren't for that, he would take us to heaven the moment we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I'll give you a few scriptures again. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to what? Serve one another. Romans 12.13, when God's people are in need, do what? Be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, 16, and don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are sacrifices that do what? Please God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, here's part of the reason we're here, especially here as a church. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, be patient to everyone. You are needed by others. Romans 12, Romans 12, 15 and 16 says, Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. It's all about relationship, guys. Others need you. Go in and start reading in 1 Corinthians 12. We know 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the gifts of the Spirit, which, by the way, Y'all realize the gifts of the Spirit weren't really made to be used within the four walls of the church? The gifts of the Spirit were meant to bless others. But 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the gifts of the Spirit, and then it goes on and talking about the body of Christ being one body with many parts. And I'm not, I may go into that a little bit next week, but it's all about that, and it's all about relationship and how we work together. You have strengths that are needed to compensate for somebody else's weakness. So what happens when you separate yourself? Does it just hurt you? Mm-mm. And really, this is one of the purposes of marriage. You know, in marriage, we're put together to complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. Hopefully, hopefully you would agree there, there are some things that your spouse is stronger in than you are, Right? And hopefully your spouse would say the same things. There's things they're stronger in than you are. Here's the reality. In marriage, you've got two imperfect people that were brought together, so there's never going to be perfection. But we were brought together to compensate for each other's weakness. What happens when we don't compensate for each other's weakness? Usually we just become critical. Then things begin falling apart, right? For example, in that, how many of you would say that, how many of you say that, of you married couples, how many of you say that you're the one who's better at finances? Now, with your hands raised, let me see your spouses next to you. How many of your spouses would nod your head and say, yes, you agree? Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, some of you aren't nodding. <laughs> okay, so let me ask this. Who does the Bible say should pay the bills? The man. <laughs> Who 
Who should pay the bills? The one who's best at it. The one who's, that's their strength, right? Please don't give me a pile of bills. Please don't give me a pile of bills. Some of you walk up to me, some of you going on the men's trip walk up to me and try and hand me a check for $100 on Sunday morning. I'm getting ready to step on the stage for worship. I'm like, please don't give that to me. It will never be seen again. Never. Please give it to my wife, right? Because I know my weakness. I know her strength, right? And, and you know, a good leader does the same thing. A good leader surrounds themselves with people who will compensate for their weakness, Right? They'll find people, and they'll figure out what their shape is, their gifts, their heart, their abilities, their personality, their experiences. And then what they do is they put them in the positions that they're good at, even if the leader's not good at it at all. He recognizes that, and he finds people to compensate for that weakness. And when he does that, he realizes that he doesn't even really have to manage them because he's got them in the right place, and they're doing what they were called to do, and they love it. And so they do an excellent job at it. Does that make sense? You will never be... I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, you'll never be all that God's called you to be or do all that God has called you to do if you go it alone. But what if this is also true? What if we think about the fact that others need us? And what if it's possible that there's people around you that are at a place where they can't accomplish what God has for them and can't do what God has called them to do because you haven't stepped up to help and compensate for that weakness because you were placed in their life to be there, but instead you've chosen to separate yourself and to not deal with the conflict and the personalities and everything else. Could it be that there's people that God has placed in our life that can't move forward until we step out of the box and we do what God called us to do and we step in to help compensate for that weakness as well? You got to think too that we were, we're, we're called to be Jesus' hands and feet. The gospel of Jesus is spread because selfless people take their role as a follower of Jesus seriously. The gospel is spread when believers put their selfishness aside and serve others. And that's what we are here for. So I've, I've mentioned two things. Number one, our need for others. We were created with a need for others. Two, others need for us. Others were created with a need for us. And thirdly, guess what it is? Our need for God. Proof that we were created for community is our need for God. And, and look, as I, as I mentioned earlier, much of our culture today has convinced themselves that they don't need God. And I, I think in some ways, um, our advances in our society, especially in the United States and, and the, and the uh, I don't want to say the civilized world, but you, you know what I'm talking about, the, the technologically advanced parts of the world, I think that has, that has kind of compounded the, the problem a little bit because, you know, you think about other places in the world have you ever been to a third world country before? Uh, when I say third world country, if you, you don't know what that means, I, I'm talking, you know, you may have seen lately, you know, they talk about first world problems, these little memes, these little, these little things, I'll talk about first world problems. Went to Starbucks and couldn't get my cinnamon dolce latte, they were all out of cinnamon, Ugh. people putting out, oh yeah, wow, that's, whoo, boy, terrible day, right? And you go to other places in the world and they don't have clean drinking water, and we're all upset and chewing somebody out because we couldn't get a little pump of something in our Starbucks that we wanted, right? Very rarely do we, as Americans, ever have to trust God for food. I think that probably even the poorest 
don't understand what it's like to live in a third world country. Because here's the reality. You don't have any food in the pantry. Most of us just go to the store. You don't have money. You can go bum it off from a neighbor or relative or somebody. You're in worse shape than that. Go to the food bank. They have shelves lined with food. And look, I'm not knocking food banks, but can you imagine what people in third world country, your poor have food banks? Well, yeah, I mean, they go in and get food. I mean, it's, I mean they can go in and get food. It's free? Well, you, you imagine how that looks to other parts of the world? It's a good thing, okay? I'm, I'm not, like, like I say, please don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying that we are incredibly blessed. And I think that probably only a couple of us in this room have ever had to think about trusting God for our next meal. It's never dawned on us. Very rarely do we ever have to really trust God for our health in America. There's always another pill. There's always another doctor. There's always another homeopathic remedy on Facebook. Pinterest. There's always another magic shake to drink from QVC that will cure every ailment, right? Usually when we as believers come to the place of trusting God for our health, it's called things have gotten really bad. Very rarely do we have to trust God for our safety. I don't think any of us have probably grown up in a place where we had to trust God that we wouldn't step on a landmine today. That's common. That's common around the world, where they don't know where landmines were left over from old wars. I don't think probably any of us know what it's like to grow up in a place where we have to trust God against wild animals or terrorists. We've just never really had to do that. We're protected by the most powerful military on planet Earth, right? Visit a third world country. Christians in those places don't know where their next meal is coming from. They have to trust God they won't contract some disease. They get sick. A lot of places, they don't have antibiotics. They don't have antihistamines. They die of the flu or strep throat or, you know, crazy things that, you know, we're like, eh, go to the doctor right quick, right? They have to trust God. They have to trust God for their security and for their safety. And I think many of the advances in our culture have, have, uh, have contributed to that mindset as well as selfishness, but brought us to a place where I don't think most believers today feel a desperate need for God. But the reality is, we were born with such a need for God. It's the greatest need that we have, greater than the need for the next breath that we'll breathe, is our need for God. And unfortunately, this mindset has also crept into the church. More than anything else, we need a Savior. And guys, that's really, that's really the message of the gospel. That's what it's all about. More than the next breath that I breathe, I need a Savior. What is the gospel message? Guys, the gospel, I, I, I've been looking for a way to, to sum the gospel up in just a few sentences. Here's what, here's what I put down. God loves all of humanity, but we've broken his commandments. We've fallen short of his standards, and we've sinned. 
no matter what we do, we will never be able to bridge the gap on our own and our own strength. But God loved us so much that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man to be born into a manger in Bethlehem and to walk among us. He walked in our shoes, he breathed our air, he lived our life, and then he died our death. He took the judgment of God that should have come upon us absolutely and totally upon himself. The good news is that he rose again from the dead three days later. And now Jesus, who died and rose, is standing at the door of every human heart. And this is the greatest innate need that every human being on the face of the earth has. The Bible says that if we'll open the door and ask him to come in, if we turn from our sin and we surrender our lives to him, that we'll be forgiven. We have a desperate innate, innate need for relationship with Almighty God. And God has worked so hard to make himself so obvious. So when we say things like, I'm searching or I still haven't found what I'm looking for, we're really not looking with our eyes wide open. Let's all stand up together. Guys, we need others. We were born with an innate need for others. Others were born with an innate need for you. And we were all born with an innate need for a Savior. Let's all bow our heads. We're talking about community. We're talking about relationship. But really, this all boils down to who is it that you serve? Almighty God has pursued you since day one. He's pursued you from the moment of your conception. He's never taken his eyes off of you for one second. Because he wants that relationship so badly. He's never been far. He's always been as close as your next breath. And all you have to do is follow him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we receive the sacrifice, the price that he paid. We receive that as our own, as a sacrifice for our sin. It means that we turn from our ways and we surrender our life to him. Instead of living for ourselves and putting our trust in our own mind, our own intellect, our own desires, our own emotions, our own heart, instead, we surrender our life to him and we live for him. We live to please him. That the model of our life becomes like Jesus's. Lord, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I won't lie to you and tell you that it's going to be easy to live a life of surrender. But we got to remember that love takes action. So when we follow him, it means that if we really love him, it means that we're going to turn from our ways. It means we're going to begin doing things his way. And as we do, we're not going to be all alone, but we're going to find that the God, the creator of the universe the one who's been pursuing us from the very beginning, we're going to find that he's right there in our lowest, darkest moment. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's going to be there and he's going to have our arm and he's going to be encouraging us, saying, you have got this. Keep on walking. I'm with you. Keep on walking. I'm with you. 
And you're going to find that you have peace and that you have joy in the midst of those storms that you didn't have before. You're going to find that the hopelessness is going to begin to go. And you're going to see that you're going to begin to have freedom that you've never experienced in your life. Simply because you surrendered and you said, God, I give up on my own ways. I give up on trying to make it on my own. I give up on separating myself. Lord, I choose you. I choose to follow you. That's when everything changes. We go where he says go, and we do what he says do. We follow his example. We act and respond the way that he would act and respond. We live a selfless life that's dedicated to him. And the fruit of our life shows it to those around us. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. With every head bowed, if you're here and you would say, you know what, I... I've got to surrender my life to Jesus. We, we were talking about this, a few of us, the last day or two, about what it means to surrender our life to Jesus. You may have given your life to Jesus. You may remember at six years old that you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, but you, it's okay. You may look right now and go, you know what? I never really understood surrender. I never really understood that God was chasing after me and pursuing me with his love. I never really understood what it meant to, to go all out for him and to live my life for him. This is your moment. This is your moment to say, Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. I want you to be with me. I want to know that the moment I take my last breath, that that I'm going to open my eyes in eternity with you. With every head bowed, I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, but if that's you, lift up your hand and say, you know what? I need to get my life right with Jesus today. I need to surrender my life to him. Who in here would say, I need to give my life. I need to give my life to the Lord. Anybody at all? I've got to get my life right. Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. All right, listen, we're going to pray together. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you raise your hand or not. That's not the point of it. In reality, the prayer that we're going to pray together isn't really the point of it. The point is that you believe in your heart. That's what the Bible says. You confess with your mouth. It is important. But you also believe in your heart. That Jesus is who he says he is. And then he'll do what he says he'll do. And that you give your heart to him, everything changes. The Bible says you become a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And suddenly you find that you have the Creator walking with you. All you've got to do is believe in your heart. We're going to pray this together. And I just ask you to just focus on who he is right now. Allow all the distraction and confusion to fall away. Allow yourself here for just a moment to sense the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is strong. Everybody say, Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you so much for sending Jesus as my Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you for sending Jesus to take my sin and my shame and the judgment of the Father upon himself. Today, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died in my place, that you took my sin 
and you rose again. You are my redeemer. You are my savior. And I put my faith in you. I will follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.